For the final feature of our program, we meet with two younger women who were both able to receive targeted adjuvant therapy of early breast cancer in the form of trastuzumab for HER2-positive disease and endocrine therapy for hormone receptor-positive tumors. The first patient is a 49-year-old physician who was diagnosed several years ago with an ER-negative, PR-negative, HER2-positive, node-negative breast cancer. At that point, trastuzumab was still undergoing clinical trial evaluation, and in fact, this patient participated in one of the four major studies that eventually put adjuvant trastuzumab on the map. This mother, wife, and internist geriatrician started off our conversation by discussing how her breast cancer journey began. My mother had breast cancer when she was 27, and I have several aunts that died of breast cancer in their 40s and 50s. So my three sisters and I have always been very careful about getting breast exams and getting our mammograms, etc. What was your reaction when you found out you had breast cancer? Disbelief, really. I just couldn't believe that it could happen to me. What type of surgery did you have? Because my mammograms were uninterpretable and the tumor was not palpable and was not identifiable on ultrasound, my surgeon recommended that I have bilateral mastectomies, which I did have with sentinel nodes. I had had an MRI of the breast, and on the MRI, it looked like I had bilateral axillary disease. It looked like I had cancer, you know, extending from the nipple to the chest while on the left, and it looked like I had another primary on the right. However, after surgery, this was a false positive. I had no positive nodes, and although I had a lot of DCIS on the left, the invasive tumor itself was small, and what they had seen on the right was not cancer. I'm a physician, and so is my husband. So, you know, we called our, once we found out what the markers were on the tumor, we called a bunch of our friends, some of whom are in oncology research field, one in particular. And he said with the HER2 positive tumor, you have to get Herceptin. So, I called around, and most of the docs that I talked to said you have to go on a study to get Herceptin because we don't know how much to give you, what schedule to give you, how long. And so my oncologist referred me to Dr. Vogel. And you know, I expressed to him early on that we've called all over the place. We even called out to Dr. Slayman, and <laughs> we did our homework. And they did have a study available where I would be able to possibly get Herceptin. That was the BCIRG006. And unfortunately, when I was randomized, I was randomized to the control arm, much to my dismay. And I would have even you know, withdrawn from the study and just paid out of my pocket if I could have found an oncologist that was comfortable giving me Herceptin. But because of the cardiac risks, I couldn't find anyone locally that would do that, even among my friends. Now, you got the chemotherapy regimen AC followed by docetaxel or taxotere. What was that like? Well, it was a real education as a doctor to see (laughs) what patients go through, and I felt like being a doctor was a lot easier for me because I had an idea of, you know, what was a serious side effect and what wasn't. You know, as much as you think intellectually it's not going to bother you to lose your hair, 
That really is a major psychological trauma because then, you know, normally you walk around and no one knows you have cancer. But once you lose your hair, you have to put a wig or a hat. I mean, people can tell something's different about you. And so that surprised me that that bothered me as much as it did. The other thing that surprised me that I wasn't prepared for is that, you know, the first cycle of chemo wasn't so bad. But then they kind of stepwise, you didn't quite recover all the way to baseline. So I didn't really realize that it was going to get a little harder as time went by, at least for me. You know, so many people hear chemotherapy and they think vomiting, sickness, decline, death, you know. And really, I was surprised Once my husband even said to me, oh, this chemotherapy is a lot easier than we expected. (laughs) And I'm not saying it was easy, but the side effects are much better handled. How were you spending your time while you were getting chemotherapy? Were you working? Yes, I worked part-time. You know, I had the luxury of a husband that works, and I decided I wanted to take it easy. So I got other people to cover the hospital for me, and I just worked half days which was very good because it made you get out and do something to get your mind off yourself and how you're feeling and what each little thing might be and focus on other people and realize that, you know, you're very lucky compared to some other patients. How did you feel by the time you finished the chemotherapy? Well, I was very happy. I was still upset that I hadn't received the Herceptin And I had had a couple scares, so I was very relieved when it was over. Did you have any problems with nausea or vomiting from the treatment? The initial AC, I did vomit, and then after that, I was given the EMAND, and that did the trick. So you never had any more problems after that first time? Not at all. Overall, how was the experience of receiving chemotherapy compared to what you expected? It was easier than what I expected, because I remembered being an intern in the 1980s, pushing drugs on people when we had no anti-nausea drugs, we had no growth factors, and everyone would vomit and spike fevers and be terribly sick, and I was surprised that the side effects could be so easily controlled. What was your energy level like by the time you finished the chemotherapy? You know, my energy level really kind of correlated with my hemoglobin because when the hemoglobin was low, I would drag more. But it, it was definitely lower after the chemo. And I think I had this expectation that, you know, a month after the chemo, I would be fine and bounced back. But it really took a lot longer. You know, it took four or five months before I felt like my energy was back to where it was pre chemo. The other thing, I I did get some cognitive problems. What happened there? Well, I just noticed I wasn't as fast. And, like, I used to do the New York Times crossword puzzle like that. And, you know, my husband would tease me about getting Alzheimer's or having chemo brain. Did you have a hard time remembering things? Yeah, I didn't remember things. I mean, some things I normally would have remembered, it's like I never even heard of them before. And I didn't make any serious mistakes during that time, but it definitely affected my short-term memory. Did it come back? 
Well, I know that the studies say it's supposed to all reverse in a year, but I don't feel like mine has gone all the way back. I mean, I don't think I'm as sharp as I was before chemo, but I'm functioning very well. Are you back kind of on the same kind of schedule that you had before this all started? Yes. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Well, I get up at 6. I'm rounding in the hospital by 7. I'm seeing patients in the office by 8.30. I do take a break for lunch, and then I usually finish up in the office by 5.30 and finish up in the hospital by 6.30, and I'm home by 7, and I'm on call every fourth weekend, and, you know, it's a typical doctor's schedule. What's it been like within your family going through all this? Well, my husband was very supportive, and my daughters at first were frightened that I was going to die. And when I reassured them that I wasn't going to die anytime soon, they were better with it. And, you know, they're teenagers, but they tried to take care of me, and they were just wonderful. I have three sisters, and so, you know, I paid out of my pocket to get the BRCA test for their sake and my daughter's sake, and that was negative, so everyone was grateful about that. And friends came out of nowhere. People I thought I didn't know cared about me just would come by and bring things. And, you know, I was perfectly capable of driving myself to chemo, but they wouldn't let me. My patients sent flowers and cards. I had one lady that called to check on me like every week. The patients were incredible. And I really did not lose a lot of my patient base. I thought that I would, but I didn't. And then my girlfriends took me to Paris for a week after chemo to celebrate. So that was awful nice of them, and it gave me something to look forward to. And so I found support that I never knew I had. Now you actually ended up receiving Herceptin. How did that happen? I had been done with chemo almost a year. And I know there's a lot of controversy about how long you're done with your chemo, whether it's acceptable But I felt that, you know, I had basically one chance at getting cured, and I couldn't live with myself if I didn't know I did everything I could have possibly done to get cured. And then if I'm not cured, well, you know, I did everything I could. So one of my patients who has breast cancer called me one day and said, did you hear what they're talking about at the ASCO meeting? I thought she was calling for a prescription because she knew she had a HER2-positive tumor also. And after she called me, I called Dr. Vogel, and he said, yeah. And he called my insurance company, and I couldn't believe it. They paid for it. So hmm. he and how long after the news came out at the ASCO oncology meeting did this happen? Well, ASCA was in May, and I started like the end of May. Wow. So your insurance company had already kind of picked up the news about the research and was ready to go. No, I think that Dr. Vogel wrote them a letter preemptively. I see. And that did the trick. I see. What was it like receiving Herceptin? It was surprisingly mild. The worst part was I'd had my port removed, and I was on an every three-week schedule. And we kind of used up the veins, and, you know, I wasn't used to that. I was used to my nice port. So (laughs) that was tough. And then, you know, I'd work in the morning, drive up to Boca, 
get the Herceptin, and then I kind of take it easy that evening and try to have a light schedule the next day. Because I usually, sometimes I did feel a little tired the next day, but I always thought maybe it's just the power of suggestion. But after a while, I thought, yeah, maybe I do feel a little tired the following day. But after that, I was fine. No side effects? None at all. How did you deal with your teenage daughters in terms of providing information to them, support to them? How did they react to this? Well, my older daughter, she's very mature, and she's like talking to an adult. So that wasn't so hard. My younger daughter was frightened, and, you know, I'm just very open with them. And, you know, I told them that my odds were very good of being cured, and if they weren't, then it was meant to be, and... The younger one was afraid I was going to die, and I told her I wasn't going to die and not to be scared. And I needed her to be strong for me, and then she was. But it's interesting when they have to write essays about things and stuff in school, a lot of times they would include that as, you know, some major factor in their life at that time was the, you know, fear of losing a parent. Do you think there was anything that came out of that experience from their point of view that was positive? Well, I hope I was a good example to them for how to face something right on and, uh, you know, not let fear overcome you and to learn to try to think positively about things and deal with what life gives you. Is that the way you've always been? Yeah, I've always been very optimistic. I'm curious whether this experience has changed your perspective on things. Well, it certainly has. Even though I still work very hard, I feel like I've balanced my life more. You know, I've, the spiritual side has developed, and I probably prioritize my family more now. The other thing that happened was before in my professional life, I was always working hard all the time, and I wanted to retire And then when I cut back and wasn't working as much, I realized how much I really did love to practice and miss the patience and miss the intellectual stimulation and, you know, all my buddies are the people I work with. And it sort of gave me an appreciation of my work also, whereas before it was kind of like, oh, what a drag, I'm killing myself. Now it's like a privilege to be able to have an interesting job, albeit hard to control the time, but I actually enjoy working more. Do you find that, in a way, you're valuing what you deliver to patients more because you kind of see it from the patient's side? Absolutely. And I have also found that, for some reason or another, I'm attracting patients with breast cancer. And they value what I tell them more knowing what I've been through when I tell them what's going to happen to them and how they're going to be and how to face things. So, What do you tell them? Well, it depends on the patient. You know, like I had one patient, an older woman, that was just really frantic over some tiny little cancer that was, you know, in situ and panicking. And I think, you know, I was better able to reassure her and calm her down and you know, talk her through allowing herself to be treated without freaking out. And on the other hand, you know, patients that have had cancer, 
we all live with that little thing in the back of our mind that it's going to come back. And I understand that in my patients. Like, for instance, today I had a patient who, you know, she was having a lot of back pain, and she's only a year and a half out, and she had, you know, two positive notes and a larger tumor, and it was her two positive, and she just finished her Herceptin, and her oncologist reassured her, and instead... I got a bone scan on her, and she feels a lot better knowing that bone scan is negative than with her oncologist just telling her it's not the cancer. It's interesting. So you're her family doctor or internal medicine doctor, and yet you went ahead and ordered the test because you felt she needed to know for sure. Well, because that's how I am. You know, I have another friend who has head and neck cancer, and she's sticking her head in the sand. You know, they tell her to get a CAT scan, and she conveniently forgets and I have to keep reminding her and forcing her to do it. Some people are like that. I mean, as an oncologist, you know. And then other people want to know what they're dealing with so they can face it without going overboard and, you know, having CAT scans every month. And You know, Dr. Vogel's practice is all breast cancer. So everybody you see there, whether they're walking in with early stage or being rolled in ready for hospice, has breast cancer. And one lady that particularly inspired me was a lady that was working as a home health nurse. And she had had, I don't know if they did gamma knife or what, but she had had like three brain mets resected and yet kept on working and kept on trying to have a life. And I think the lesson... You know, when you're going through chemo, you're so focused on, you know, surviving and fighting and everything that cancer becomes your life. And then when the chemo's over, you got to realize, okay, cancer is not your life. And then you see people where it recurs. And, you know, if mine ever recurs, I hope to still have a life and not make cancer my life. So that I learned from them. Any advice that you think you would give to someone who's kind of just starting down the path that you've already been? Well, it really, really helped me to have something at the end to look forward to. Like my girlfriends deciding they were going to take me to Paris. It gave us something to talk about and something to look forward to and you know, my patients knew, and they would bring me books and maps and tell me, go to this restaurant, and, you know, it was... I kind of think that having that reward at the end of the tunnel, that helped me. And the other thing is accepting support. Like, I didn't need someone to drive me to chemotherapy and sit there with me. I could have done that. But they wanted to help and they felt like they were doing something for me. And, you know, it was nice. I could snooze in the car on the way home. So accepting help and not trying to be too tough and maybe giving yourself something to look forward to at the end. How many friends that went with you to Paris? Four. How was it? Oh, it was fabulous. They paid my way. They wouldn't even let me tip anyone. They put us up in a fabulous hotel. The only thing, it was so soon after chemo that I was still, you know, retaining a lot of fluid and wearing wigs and, you know, 
didn't have the energy I would have liked, but I just ran around anyway till I collapsed. So we had a great time. <laughs>